Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Amen. Thank you, Kathy. Hey, good morning, everybody. How you doing? You look good. You do. You look very good this morning. I am excited about this series. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Oh, the slides? Okay, the slides will load momentarily. That's fine. Um, We're going to do three weeks on prayer starting today. My throat's still loading too, I think. Excuse me. I don't know if it's allergies or a lingering cold, but I've got something going on. So three weeks, it's me all three weeks. Celebrate or, you know, go to your neighbor, whichever, you know, you prefer. That's okay. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, But I'm pumped up about it. I've been reading a lot about prayer. It's something I want to grow in. And so I'm so excited to share with you what I'm seeing in the Bible, what I'm learning. And um, it's going to be great. The Bible has so much to say about prayer, you guys. God hears the prayers of his people. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The prayer of an upright person pleases God. Those are just a few of the things the Bible says. And yet so many Christians struggle to pray consistently with the faith and the energy that this powerful practice uh, deserves. We don't match the power of the practice with our consistency and faith and energy so many times. But after all, there's so many kinds of prayer. There's so many ways to pray. It's like, where do we start? Or sometimes it's like, how do we remain steadfast in it? Maybe it gets a little stale or old. And I just want to acknowledge, you know, we put the title slide up here and I introduced this series and there's probably all kinds of reactions around the room right now. Let's just go ahead and acknowledge that. The only way to go forward from where you're at is to acknowledge where you're at. So if your prayer life's amazing, you can acknowledge that, maybe add a little humility to it and then go from there. If your prayer life stinks, there's no point in denying the fact you know, just recognize it, learn from the series and go forward from where you're at. But I bet someone was feeling like, woohoo, prayer's my favorite. I can't wait for this series. Someone else was like, oh no, here we go again. Another prayer series. <laughs> Somebody was thinking, talking with God is great. Someone else was thinking, I feel like it's just talking to the ceiling or an empty sky. Somebody was thinking, prayer, oh good, this is so much easier than the outreach series they were asking me to do last month. <laughs> Why'd you laugh so hard? The beauty of our outreach that we launched last month is that it's simple. It's sustainable. It goes with the flow of what we see God doing. He's doing amazing things. I meet multiple new neighbors that I haven't met before every week out back with this trail project. God is using it in a powerful way. And you know what the whole thing is meant to be supported by? Our prayers. Most of the time you're walking, you will not be talking to a neighbor when you're back there. But you can pray. Pray for the project. Pray for God's spirit to move. Pray in the ways that we're going to talk about over the next three weeks. Pray for the neighbors. Pray for this church family. And so we support the outreach by prayer. But it's not just prayer walking. It's outreach. That makes sense. Some people, when they think about a series on prayer, or they pause long enough to think about prayer in depth a little bit, they go, man... I used to pray so full of faith before blank happened. 
And like I said, some people, if they're honest with themselves, say, hey, I stink at this. Or maybe they wonder, what's wrong with me? I don't know how to pray. There's something wrong with me as a Christian. So wherever you're at, you're going to find something in the next three weeks to take you forward. That's one of my goals. And I believe the Lord's going to do it. A.W. Tozer was a man of prayer. And he said this, the most important aspect of the Christian life is prayer. Every Christian is defined by their prayer life. And if we're not living in prayer, we are not experiencing the life God has for us. But like I said, so many of us, it's, it's difficult to find a vibrant, dynamic prayer life. It seems unattain, unattainable. And we feel like our track record is more like apathy, distraction, and doubt when we pray. So let's see what we can do about that. So what I want to do is give you perspectives to guide you in the practice of prayer. And what I want to encourage you to do is get out a piece of paper and a pen if you have one with you, or get out your notes app. And over the course of the next three weeks, I'm going to put up there sometimes like perspective one, and it'll say what it is. Write these down. You know, it comes with the scripture reference. Think about it. Meditate on it a little bit. And use these perspectives to give you a new approach, a fresh approach to prayer. <clears throat> in uh, Luke chapter 11 and in Matthew chapter 6, um, we get different variations of what people have called the Lord's Prayer. It's where Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And I can think of no better place to start than right here. So um, this morning we're going to look at a couple of verses right before the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6, you can do that. Um, and then we're going to read the Lord's Prayer a couple of verses after. And then we'll go back and we'll break it down bit by bit, seeing what perspectives we can put in our mind's eye as we approach prayer. And we'll get through about half of the Lord's Prayer this week. And we'll come back to the rest next week. The Lord's Prayer is one of the most deep and meaningful passages in all of scripture. But if you're anything like me, it might be so familiar that you can't hear what it has to say. Have you ever run into this phenomenon before where there's a sound present, but your brain has totally tuned it out? You know, because it's just there in the background or it's so familiar, you've just gotten used to it and your brain has said, hey, this is an ongoing thing. It's not important. We're going to tune that out and pay to attention to what matters. Matters. <laughs> because our brains are really efficient. They don't want to work too hard, but they want to pay attention to the right stuff. Um, but that can happen when scripture passages are really familiar too. Right? We can be so used to it that we begin to tune it out or we can't see what it has to say. So I'm not going to bring you some obscure scripture you haven't heard of. We're going to go through something that you definitely have before. But let's really tune into it. Let's hear what it has to say in a fresh way, in a new way. Let's let it impact our prayer life. Timothy Keller says that there are probably no set of words in all of human history that have been spoken more than the Lord's Prayer. Talk about familiar. <laughs> I guess that's the definition of, isn't it? Nobody said any set of words more often than these. Do you hear that? You probably don't because it's been going the whole time. But I played with our air conditioning system this morning. Listen really careful. Did you hear it turn off? 
Did you notice before that it was running? You did. It didn't work on you. Good. I hope you also haven't turned, tuned out the Lord's prayer, but I often find when I'm at church in the summer that unless I'm feeling the air conditioning blowing on me, it's only when it turns off that I realize it was on at all. So whether the the illustration worked on you or not, the point is we're going to pay attention to the Lord's prayer this morning. (laughs) Were you cold? Oh, well, the AC wasn't running the whole time, just the fan. I was hoping I wouldn't freeze you out. But hey, colder temperatures are good for staying awake and paying attention while that preacher's talking. Maybe I should turn it back on. I'll be watching. I've got it right here. So (laughs) that's not the point. Okay. Let's go to scripture. (laughs) Matthew chapter six, verses five through 15. This is Jesus. He said, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. So perspective one comes from the beginning before the Lord's Prayer starts in verses five and six. Perspective one is prayer is rewarding. Prayer is rewarding. Good job. I see people making notes. Thank you. You're doing the thing. It's going to pay off. So if you pray in front of other people to look good, you guys, you might just get what you want. If you're eloquent, if you're well-churched and you use those good words, people might be like, whoa, that guy knows how to pray. Whoa, she really knows how to pray. But that will be the only reward that prayer receives. But if you pray when no one else is looking, if you never tell anyone that you were praying, then just you and your heavenly father are interacting in prayer, and there is a reward in heaven for you. Jesus says, Dad has a reward for you. Now, Jesus is not saying to never pray in public or in a group. (laughs) But the principle here applies when you do pray in a group or in public. Not to seek the reward of looking good in front of other people, but to seek your Heavenly Father. To pray seeking His reward and no other. Prayer is rewarding. Principle number two, prayer is for connecting. Prayer is for connecting. Jesus says, don't babble like the pagans because God knows what you need. In other words, don't turn prayer into a formula, an empty repetition, or some sort of Christian incantation. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is telling dad what you want to say. So pray simply. 
ask dad for what you need. He knows, he cares, and he wants to connect with you in the process of the asking. So we pray to connect with our Father God in the secret place, and there we find great reward. And we pray in simple words to our Father God, and there find that he knows our needs and he cares for us. So far, so good. Perspective number three is where we start getting into the Lord's Prayer. Prayer is for kids. Prayer is for kids. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. And he begins with the familiar phrase, our father in heaven. Did you notice in the verses right before that, when he talks about praying in the streets or babbling prayers, he doesn't mention God at all when he talks about the bad examples. But then when he says what we should do, he uses the term father. He says, don't be like the hypocrites, but when you pray, pray to your father in the secret place. And he says, don't be like the pagans. Your father knows what you need. And now he launches into what is a model prayer for his disciples. It's a template of how to pray. And it is dense and compact. Timothy Keller says, like, the whole of scripture is packed into this little prayer. It's so deep. And he starts it with our father. He's really hammering away at this father thing, isn't he? He is. (laughs) And if you go looking through the gospels, you'll find that this is how Jesus prayed. Father, 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 father. In all of his prayers, especially there's a ton of them in John. Go check it out. This is how Jesus prayed. And this is how he tells us to start our prayer. It's a foundation. Prayer is for kids. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, If you've surrendered to God as king, you have become a child of God. Now, Jesus' dad is your dad too. John 1.12 says, To those who believed in his name, in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus gave you the right to be God's kid. He established your legal rights as a son or daughter. In Romans, Paul says that you've been adopted. Let's read the passage. It's really good. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. If you're a Christian, you've become God's child. You're adopted. You've received his own spirit inside of you. That helps you to cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, God, my dad. You have a claim to an inheritance beyond your wildest dreams. You have a claim to an inheritance beyond your wildest dreams if you're a Christian. Our Father is packed with meaning. It means that through the suffering of Jesus on the cross, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God is your father. You can call him Abba, 
dad, daddy. You are heir to the riches of a kingdom without end. Martin Luther wrote about prayer and he said, we should start our prayers by asking God to implant in our hearts, a comforting trust in your fatherly love. John Calvin wrote about prayer and adds that by the great sweetness of this name, father, he frees us from all distrust. Prayer is for kids. And we, we come to prayer first with recognizing our sonship, our adoption as sons and daughters by our Father. Imagine how your prayers might change if you started with realizing the vastness of the estate that you are an heir to before you pray about something like a promotion at work. Isn't it a game changer? Doesn't it make something that felt so big kind of come into better perspective first? Imagine how your prayers might change if you began with realizing the closeness of your Abba Father before you asked for a healing need or for praying for your loved ones. Doesn't it just start from a different place? What peace comes from knowing the closeness of your Father when you begin to pray? What peace from knowing the riches of his kingdom that will be yours, whether now or later, but for all eternity. It is a total game changer to start with our Father if we realize what it really means. It's a totally different starting point than most of the prayers I've prayed in my life. I don't know about you. Perspective three was prayers for kids. Number four, prayer expresses loving awe. Prayer expresses loving awe. The next line in the Lord's Prayer says, Hallowed be your name. Hallowed means holy, sacred, greatly revered and honored. Jesus says the beginning of prayer is to get settled into our adoption by our Heavenly Father and then to express what Timothy Keller calls loving awe. It's loving because we're his children. We're adopted. He's our father, our Abba, our daddy. It's awe because he's all powerful. He's the creator of the universe. <laughs> he's perfect. He's holy. He's worthy to be treated as God by all people. When we begin to pray, we have the opportunity to wake ourselves up to the magnitude of what is going to happen. We're coming into the very presence of God who created the universe. Loving awe. I think it helps to see what it was like for the prophet Isaiah when he came into God's presence. In chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. 
Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I'm going to die, he says, in paraphrase. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. As we come in prayer, we recognize the holiness and glory of God. And if it were only that, we would be ruined. (laughs) Woe is us. We would be ruined to be in the presence of a holy God. It would make us acutely aware of our sinfulness, of our unclean lips and our impure heart. And just like Isaiah, we would recognize our need for atonement for our sins. We would need someone to take away our guilt. We would recognize that need like never before. This points us right back to Jesus. He atoned for our sins on the cross. He took our guilt and shame on his back. He took our punishment, the death penalty for our sins. And through making him Lord and Savior, we are forgiven. We have access to the Holy, Holy, Holy Lord Almighty. So we'll come back to dealing with sin later in the prayer next week. Um, But for now, what we want to pull out of this is that um, hallowed be your name expresses loving awe for the majesty of God as we enter his presence in prayer. And also hallowed be your name points to an intention of the heart to recognize his holiness and communicate our desire to make his name hallowed, holy, sacred, honored, revered. So there's nothing we can do to elevate his name. It's already the highest. (laughs) Jesus has been resurrected and exalted already. We read about this last week on River Sunday, and I just want to read the passage again from Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the work of Jesus is complete. We can't add to it. But when we pray, hallowed be your name, we participate in it. We join with bowing knees of the saints who've gone before us, of people all around the world, acknowledging that his name is above every name, that he is Lord, that he's God Almighty in hallowing him. We join the chorus with our tongues that say, Jesus Christ, your Lord, to the glory of God the Father. There's a biblical concept of carrying the Lord's name. It's actually the third of the Ten Commandments. It says, in NIV, it says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Other translations say, don't take the Lord's name in vain. But the meaning of the Hebrew language under that is something along the lines of, do not carry or bear the name of the Lord in an empty, unworthy way. 
So taking the Lord's name in vain means carrying his name, representing him in an unworthy way with emptiness. See, God created mankind in his image. Each of you are created in the image of God to be his representatives. We're called to represent him well. So hallowed be your name is a reminder to do so. And a statement of commitment to God that we will. So if I sort of put it in my own words to pray it, I would say, God, your name be honored in heaven and on the earth. And I will do my part to bring your name honor by how I live my life. I will carry the name of my father in a way that makes you proud to be represented by me. Hallowed be your name. All right, perspective number five. Prayer surrenders to God. Prayer surrenders to God. This comes from verse 10 where it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's check my notes. I think this is the last one for today. The last section of the Lord's Prayer. Although it's packed, like I said, so, you know. (laughs) So if hallowing recognizes God as the holy king who rules in majesty... And we began to start applying that by expressing our intention to carry his name well. The next step in Jesus model prayer applies it even further. It gets even more specific. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. You see, we've each made ourselves a God. We've made ourselves independent. We've set up our own little kingdom to rule each and every one of us. We're actually traitors. We're rebels. We're in rebellion against the creator and the king of the universe because we've said we want to be king or queen of our own life. This was the original sin in Genesis 3, guys. (laughs) This is the root of the most common sins in our culture today. And you might say it's the root of all sin especially in 21st century America, we're trained by our culture to live as the God of our own life. Let's just break it down. We're trained to have our own kingdom where we're independent, where we choose our own identity, where we define our own truth, and where we define good and bad on our own terms. Be your own king, the world teaches you. The culture teaches you and caters to you. I mean, if you're hungry, just hop on your phone and have some food delivered because you're the king or queen and food should be brought to your court, you know? (laughs) I'm not saying DoorDash is evil. I'm just saying it teaches you something when you can have food catered to you anytime you want with the push of a button. Your material wishes should be granted as king or queen. Next day on your doorstep by the Amazon van, which is incredibly convenient, but yet it teaches you something, right? There you sit on your throne. I don't mean the toilet. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know where you order from, <laughs> but on your proverbial throne in your house, in your kingdom, and here comes the needs. Your needs are met next day if you pay the subscription. And every good king or queen should have a court jester, right? 
At the snap of your fingers, you should be entertained when you so desire, kings and queens of Kalamazoo. On demand, you should have entertainment. (laughs) That's Netflix. (laughs) And TikTok and YouTube and all this stuff. That's what I mean by that one. But the medieval one is kind of more fun to say, right? Your court jester with the pointy hat. Anyways, okay. That's what our culture trains us to be. Kings and queens of our own kingdom, which amounts to rebels and traitors because God is king. So in his kingdom, we depend on him. We acknowledge that. He created us, and so he gives us our identity as he created us. It's up to him, not up to us. He defines truth because he is truth. And we take good and bad on his terms rather than taking the fruit and eating and saying we get to define good and bad on our own terms. So in God's kingdom, he is the one who is served. We serve at his pleasure. They say that in like TV shows about the president. We serve at the pleasure of the president. We serve at the pleasure of the king of the universe. Just like Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Remember that whole foot washing, dying on the cross thing? That's the model. We serve the people he created as we serve him. That's how it works in his kingdom. He's the one who gets things on demand as his servants. We do that. And you know what? It's our delight to serve a loving and benevolent God. Daddy, remember that part? He doesn't sit on a throne as an evil king, lording it over us. It's the throne of grace that we sang about, that because you're adopted and you're a son or daughter, you can come boldly to the throne of grace. But he's still the king, and we are not. Does that make sense? Jesus said it this way once, you cannot serve two masters. There's only room for one to sit on the throne. Your kingdom come makes room for God to take his seat in your life when you pray. Your will be done is next. To me, this just takes another step. It's another extension of God's kingly rule that we just talked about. Sort of says, hey God, you're king and I just recognized it. Um, So may your will be done as you rule. Your will be done is surrender that leads the way in prayer and extends to the specifics. How often, if you're anything like me, do we come to prayer with our list of needs and wants first and foremost? Or maybe that's the only reason I started to pray at all. Guilty. (laughs) Don't, Don't feel bad if that's you too. I've done that. Oh God, I need this, you know. Lord, I got this situation and here's how I want it to work out. I want relief from this difficult relationship. God, I want my coworkers to pull their weight. God, I want my kids to do their chores. God, I want my parents to lighten up. Sorry for looking at you on that one. <laughs> she doesn't do that. It's just she's, she has parents and I'm one of them. <laughs> God, I want my dear friend to be healed. God, I want this, these allergies to go away. God, I want a little more money so I can do fill in the blank. 
Now, Jesus has a portion of his model prayer where he encourages us to bring our needs to the Father. It's not that we don't do that. But in his model, first we pray, your will be done before we make those petitions. And this can be very difficult for people. It's a tough pill to swallow sometimes. People leave the faith over this one, guys. You probably know somebody who has or who has deeply struggled with it. But we need to think about prayer not like a vending machine. Jesus' model prayer is an antidote to vending machine prayers. Now, you might have to be of a certain age to follow me on this one. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Or go places where there's older vending machines. But does anybody remember the vending machines where you put in your money, you punch the numbers. Oh, I don't know those. (laughs) You punch the numbers. And then over here, there's like, the spiral things with the chips and the candy bars loaded in it, right? Push the numbers, the spiral turns, and the one falls out. With any luck, you reach in the door and you get your snacks. <laughs> yeah, there's people, there's some people saying, that's the modern ones. <laughs> there's really fancy ones today. Anyways, that's a, that's a side note. Prayer, vending machine. Okay, so do we come to prayer putting our money in? punching up our order and looking to get what we want and then get really mad when the wrong spiral thing turns. Good and plenties. I didn't want those. Those are disgusting. (laughs) Flaming hot Funyuns. I didn't order. I actually like Flaming hot Funyuns. I didn't order those. The wrong spiral turned when I punched my number. Did you ever put your money in and punch the number and nothing happens? Oh, it wasn't plugged in. Or who knows what's going on in its little computer brain. Or worse yet, you punch in the number. It was the right one and it turns and your chips get stuck. It says don't shake that thing, but trust me. I'm not a big guy, but I'll grab the top of that thing and like use all my weight and lean that. It is shaking. I want my chips. You would laugh harder if you didn't know where I was going with this, right? (laughs) Freedom to acknowledge where we're at with our prayer lives, guys. Sometimes we do this. We come to God with a, we think we did, we paid our dues. We punched up our order and nothing happens. And we're like, my prayers fell on deaf ears. I'm talking to the ceiling or the empty sky. What's up with this? Why didn't something happen? Or do you get a different answer than you were looking for? You get this little nudge about that difficult coworker that you should change, not them. That's not what I ordered. Are you kidding me, God? <laughs> I want to talk to the owner of this vending machine. (laughs) Or it seems like your prayers just get stuck. You felt like he heard you, but why is it so long in coming? How do we reconcile these frustrating results? What's the answer? Well, luckily for us, there's an unanswered prayer of Jesus in scripture. So let's go read about that. Maybe it'll help us. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. 
He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. (laughs) Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went a second time and prayed, My father, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus prayed for relief from the suffering that was upon him. He was already starting to suffer. You can tell by the intensity of his prayer how much he was already suffering. He was overwhelmed by what was happening already and what he knew was to come in just a few hours. He felt like he was going to die right then, it says, and he knew he would die soon on a Roman cross in excruciating pain. But his prayer was this, Father, please, I do not want to do this. It's going to be the most difficult thing I have ever done. Is there any other way? And yet he prays the very thing he taught his disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Your will be done. So Jesus brought all his frustration, anguish, and his heartfelt, passionate request to the Father. Let this cup pass for me. And he also brought a total surrender to the will of the Father, both. If I had to guess, not the Bible, but I'm I'm making a guess here. I would think that when Jesus left the, the place of prayer and went to meet Judas, the betrayer, he was resolute. I think in prayer, he made a journey from desperate to determined. How else could he do what he did next? (laughs) Sort of of overwhelmed by it. (laughs) I really think about it. He didn't get the thing he asked for in prayer. He had to go through it anyway, right? But he came out of the place of prayer, ready to participate in the will of the Father. That's what we're after too, guys, when we pray. Passionate requests, full of faith in our Father that he hears us when we pray. Totally surrendered to his will and his way. 
just like Jesus. Passionate, but patient. Grand requests, go for it. Ask him anything, the big stuff. Grand, but grounded. Strong, but surrendered. It's the kind of prayers I want to pray. It's the kind of prayers I hope you pray. And if you're not there now, you can get there by doing the things that we're talking about, by following Jesus' example. It's actually something that builds over time. Your prayer life will get more mature and strong as you follow Jesus' model for prayer. The more you pray, your will be done. The more mature your prayer life will become, the more mature you'll become. So when we pray, your will be done, excuse me for a moment. Did that sound pretty good on the microphone? I probably should have turned it off. (laughs) When we pray, your will be done. We join with the 17th century poet named George Herbert, who wrote this. For my heart's desire unto thine is bent. I aspire to a full consent. That's beautiful. Through praying your will be done regularly, daily, maybe more than once a day, we begin to achieve a fuller and fuller consent to the Lord, our Heavenly Father, the Lord Almighty, the King. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We pray that regularly, depth of meaning that we've got right now while we're thinking about it together. We will give a fuller and fuller consent to God. And Modern terms, I'd say it's saying yes to God every day, and that builds on itself. All right, here's a, here's a current poem. Your will be done, these words I pray. Prepare my heart for yes today. Unanswered prayers are one of the hardest things you'll ever face in this life, you guys. And if it doesn't bother you, there's something wrong. I mean that. If unanswered prayers don't bother you, there's something wrong. You've settled for less than the Jesus type of prayer or you don't believe in the God that Jesus prayed to if unanswered prayers don't bother you. But the solution is not to chuck the faith, to give up, to stop praying for miracles. That's not the solution. Don't stop praying for healing. Don't stop praying for your loved ones to to come to the Lord, to be saved if they're far from him, or to come back. The solution is to follow Jesus. He has prayed to and not gotten what he asked for. He's suffered more than we can imagine, the things that we're suffering as we bring to the Lord in prayer. He's suffered too. So we bring our suffering to him. We actually enter into the sufferings of Jesus, the Bible says. And we wait in hope for the resurrection and the life of the world to come. We have hope in him. He will redeem all things. He will set right what's wrong. The thing you're praying about and the big picture. All that's wrong in this world will be set right one day. It's just a matter of time. All of creation's groaning, longing for it to happen, and we do too, and we see the messed up stuff in this world. It's just a matter of time. And the renewed heaven and earth, 
where it's not messed up is your inheritance if you're a Christian. It's from God, your Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Kathy, would you come and wrap it up? Just as Bill was um, wrapping that up at the end, I was thinking about, you know, being a parent. And I want my kids to come to me. And, you know, today on Mother's Day, I don't want it to be something they check off their list. So I'm convicted. So I go to God to check things off my list. Or just get what I want from my vending machine? Or do I truly want to know what his heart is? What's the cry of God's heart? What is his desire for my life? And if you don't want that yet, you can ask him to give you that. You know, you can read the verse two ways. He gives you the desires of your heart. As in, when I want something, he gives it to me. Or you can look at it as he puts in you what you want. And so you can ask in prayer, God, give me your desire for my life and my will. Let's do that right now. To close your eyes. Father, we just are so grateful. I just want to say thank you for what you've done. You created us. You made us in your image. You say that it is good. And when we fall away because of sin, you reconcile us back to you. And you do the hard part. You sent your son to die on a cross, rose him up after three days, and then said, all you have to do is believe, and we can be reconciled with you. Father, help us to desire that relationship in a more full way. Help us to look at prayer with the right attitude and to want to have time with you. Thank you for your conviction. Thank you for your love. And thank you for leading us as your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen.